Cricket Life Stories with me, Neil Kagram, and today we're joined by Yorkshire's head coach, Andrew Gale. Andrew, thank you for your time. How is um, self-isolation treating you? Yeah, it's uh, hard work. I've, I've got three young kids uh, under under eight years old, so homeschooling, um, I've come to the realisation that I'm never going to be a school teacher. Um, but yeah, keeping them occupied and and keeping them uh in the house isn't isn't easy but it's uh it's a frustrating time given that it's we've just worked four and a half months in in the indoor school um put the hard yards in and then you know for the season not to start like it has is is frustrating but um you know as we all know there's a bigger picture here and hopefully people can can stay safe and be healthy and we'll come out the other side Let's take it all the way back with yourself. So born in Dewsbury, uh, West Yorkshire. Um, where did the love of cricket first start? Yeah, I wasn't really brought up in a cricketing family. I mean, my, my granddad played cricket, but my dad never played cricket. He was a musician. So it happened um, by accident, really, for me, that I just tagged along with some lads who lived on, on my uh, street. And, you know, there was a, a big main road at the top of the street, which uh, there was a cricket ground across the road. So I was never allowed to cross the road, but I, I just ended up sneaking across. And every Friday night, my mum thought I was just playing my friends and I was going to the cricket club with them. Um, and after about five or six weeks of going, I asked if I could have a cricket bat. And uh, she took me to the shop and told her that I'd been going to to my local club and um, just fell in love with it from there, really. And, and it happened by by chance that, I got a letter uh, from the club saying that I was going to a district trial and it turned out it was a Yorkshire trial and uh, I ended up getting in the under 11s and I went right through the ranks. So what was so let's go back to your club uh, club career what was the the name called of your local club? I started at a club called Gummersall Gummersall Cricket Club um, which said they're in the Bradford League. I played there till I was around 13 14 and then I moved um to Cleckheaton Club, which I've always classed as my home club, if you like, the, um, the club that I've had the longest affiliation with. Um, played Bradford League uh, cricket there until I eventually played in the, the Saturday Academy in the Yorkshire League. And then, as you said, you came through the ranks um, with Yorkshire. Um, any other um, household names that came through with you? Yeah, Bre Brez was in there, Tim Bresnan. He played in the under-11s. Um, who else did I play with in the in the in the ranks? Um, Mark Lawson played a bit of first class cricket. Uh, Joe Sayers played a bit of first class cricket for Yorkshire. Um, Richard Pyra, who's now the bowling coach at, at Yorkshire. So we we came through Steve Patterson. He, he played. He was from East Yorkshire, so they had their their uh, own team, which was like Humberside clusters then. Um, but we, we had a team that sort of came through all together and our academy side was, you know, we had a sort of golden two or three years where we had a really strong side. We, we cleaned up with all the junior trophies and um, I guess that's why it was so special when we all came through together and eventually won the county championship together because we'd sort of been on the journey all the way through. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a strong outfit and we've always been blessed with good, good young talent at Yorkshire. And then you, as a youth, you came, You also got international recognition, um, England under fifteen, all the way yeah. through up to under nineteen. 
Yeah, I think that the under-15s is probably where I started to take my cricket seriously because I'd always wanted to be a footballer. You know, I'd, uh, I'd played a, a bit at Huddersfield Town, my, my uh, club that I support, and I'd been to Oldham. Um, I'd been scouted at Sheffield Wednesday, but I'd, I was never quite good enough. I was too slow, I think, and too podgy. Um, what position think, did you play? I, I played left back, and then later I played a bit in centre midfield. So um, I, I sort of touted around the clubs, and I was never good enough. And it, when I got to about 14 or 15, it's when I thought, well, you know, I want to be a professional sportsman, probably. Cricket's my way in, and um, I started to take it a bit more seriously. Um, and I started scoring more runs and, and ended up getting an academy contract and then you know going, going on to play for England under-15s and, and under-19s. Any memorable moments during that, that, that stint with England yeah. at that time? I think the England under-15s was a, a funny story because people know about the Bunbury Festival. So we went, we went with the north of England and what they did were you, you had three games and then they'd pick a team uh, out of the three games to play a fourth game on the fourth day to play against a, sort of a private schools, England 11. Um, and then they'd pick a team out of them to eventually play for England. So I'd had three games um, and uh, my old family came down. It was down at, at Exmouth, Exeter. We'd stayed at the university. My grandma and granddad came down and my mum and dad and my sister to watch and played the three games. I had a high score of about 30. And, uh, I think I only got into double figures once. Um, so I packed my bags and I, I rang my mum and dad. I said, look, well, you know, we, we can set off tomorrow morning at nine o'clock and get on the road. I'll be heading back. I don't think I'll, I'll get the nod. And um, they read the teams out in first thing in the morning and my name was in it. And it was actually um, Paul Fabrice was the coach who later went on to, to coach uh, Sri Lanka and... Um, Yorkshire and then assistant coach at England so um, I got picked for that and I went out that day and I got 133 or something like that I think it was and uh, at the end of that game I got picked for England so um, you look back on moments in your career where you think if I wouldn't have got runs there or I would have got runs I think I nicked off on about 30 in that game and I was given not out um, by by some old old lad <laughs> couldn't couldn't hear the massive nick. I think first slip nearly caught it, and uh, I went on to get 130. And you look back at little things that happen in your career that changes your career. And I, I definitely look back at that and think, yeah, that was a moment where um, I was a, a bit lucky, uh, but also you know right time, right place. And then you made your debut for Yorkshire in 2004, I believe. How old yeah, were you then? And do you feel you were ready? No, I was probably what was I, eighteen, nineteen. I I'd, I'd made my my one day debut against Worcester after coming off the back of a double hundred in the second team. And um, like all young players, you think you're ready. You you you're chomping at the bit, and you yeah, I'm good to go. I'm, I want to play first class cricket. I'm scoring runs in second team cricket. And I was a slow starter. It took me a while to, to get to grips. It took me at least two or three years to really start to establish myself in first-class cricket. Um, it was just a massive jump from second team to first team. I didn't know my own game. Um, I didn't know myself as a person, really. And, and it took a little bit of time. Um, but I get with young players, that's why 
you've always got to persist a little bit with them because um, the only way they learn, really, the only way I learned was by being in that setup and making mistakes. And eventually the penny drops and you start to know your own game, you know how to score runs, how to manage your emotions and your feelings, and you start to become more consistent. So in, that, in between that period, yeah, I would say, was it fair to say that you played more T20 one-day cricket? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the one-day game was changing a little bit then, so it, it, it sort of fitted with me. I was a bit of a dasher. Um, you know, I went in, I could score runs um, from the first ball. So we'd going through that period of when, you know, you bat 50 overs and get, you know, 230, 240 to, to send in someone in in the power play and um, taking that down. So I, I opened the bat in and I probably made established myself more in, in white ball cricket than I did in red ball. And people always had question marks over whether I'd, I'd ever be able to do it in the red ball game because my technique was quite loose. But, you know, like I say, when I start to find a method and, and realise what my own game looked like, um, start to become more consistent and I could bat a longer period of time. You also captained England under-19s. Um, were you a natural leader from a young age? I think I've always had that tendency to be a natural leader. I think, you know, I've been captained numerous Yorkshire age groups teams and, and come through and, you know, captain the England Lions. Um, I, I think people always saw me as a quite a passionate guy um, who people would follow. I, I was never afraid to voice my opinions and, and, and I think people respected that. So I think I was always seen as a bit of a natural leader. Yeah, so you became Yorkshire um, first team captain in 2009, the youngest player in the post-war era, I believe. Again, the same kind of question. What kind of, in your opinion, does make a good captain? Um, what makes a good captain? I think first and foremost, you've got to have respect to your peers. Um, and I, was, I probably wasn't um, as experienced as I would have liked to be at that moment in time. I always wanted to be a captain. It probably came two years earlier than, than I would have liked. Um, and I think captaincy is one of those things that you should never go looking for it. I think it, it's the sort of thing that comes to you. But in my early stages of captaincy, I was very lucky that I had some real good, supportive senior players around me, people like Jacques Rudolph and Anthony McGrath. Jared Brophy, these sorts of guys who were, um, had a lot of wool on the back, very experienced, and um, they supported me. They, they didn't want the job. Um, they, they thought I was the right man for the job, and, and they got behind me, and that really helped you know, galvanise the dressing room and, and help my respect as a leader. And then um, 2014, winning the championship, the first time the club had won it in 13 years. Proud moment. Yes and no. I mean, um, you know, I, I, we won the championship and it's something that I've worked hard for. We went on a real journey. It was a real roller coaster of a journey, really, from first taking the captaincy over in 2010 and, and going close right down to the last day of the season. We could have won the championship uh, after being favourites to be relegated. And then the following year, we got relegated. 2012, we came straight back up. 2013, I think we finished second. Um, or third and then we'd sort of worked towards and learnt a lot of valuable lessons in 2014 we ended up winning it but you know I obviously it was well documented at the time I couldn't lift the trophy so we were I'd got banned with an altercation with Ashwell Prince 
in a in a tough Roses game, uh, and I was suspended for for four games. Um, so the ECB said that I couldn't lift the trophy. So it was on the the we were at Trent Bridge. You know, I accepted the suspension and what have you. I was in the wrong. Held my hands up, and um, it was it was Colin Graves, who's now the chairman of the ECB, who's our chairman at the time. He came to the dressing room on the last day. An hour before we're going to win win the trophy, and he said, "Look, you know the the word from the ECB is if you lift the trophy, they're going to deduct um, twenty thirty points. I think it was from Yorkshire. So he said you can't lift the trophy. So it was a bittersweet moment, you know, having all my family down at Trent Bridge, ready that moment that we'd worked up to for a period of time and dream come true, wearing the Yorkshire badge from ten years old to go and, and have your moment as captain to lift the county championship." And then only to see Ruti, who played like two games all year, go lift lift the championship was, uh, like I say, a bittersweet moment. So, you know, um, it was uh, it was quite a, a, a sad day for me, really, and that probably made me more motivated to to win it again. I was going to say, then you won the championship again the following year. Must have made it extra special then for yourself. It personally. did because I, I still had. I still felt like I had unfinished business. Like, you know, um, there's a history of teams winning championships and getting relegated the, the year after. That happens a lot in cricket. Uh, and I'd looked through the history books and seen, you know, all, all the correlation of it. So I sort of sat down with the senior players when we came back to, to, to training in the, the November after winning the championship and we'd had all our excessive celebrations and paraded the trophy around here, there and everywhere all over Yorkshire. But I said to, to the senior lads, about six or seven of them, look, I don't want this to be a flash in the pan. I want this to be, to create our own legacy. You know, you get, sometimes at Yorkshire, you get a lot of stick from some some uh, older generations about how many times they won championships and um, the, the teams of the 60s and the 50s and, and all that. So, I said, we wanted to create our own legacy. How are we going to go about this? And it was Ryan Sidebottom actually who spoke up and he said, look, I'd played in a team at, at Knotts that were relegated the year after winning championship. And these were the reasons, you know, people turning up late, um, not training as hard, wearing the wrong kit, um, an expectation that someone else would get the runs or take the wickets and just let the foot off the gas a little bit. So we sort of made a collective effort to, to say, as a senior group, we're going to be right on it, maybe over the top at times. And our standards were really, really high. Um, yeah, and, and to match that, we had some, you know, some bloody good players, right time, right players. You look at people like Johnny Best, who's just on the cusp of, of getting a call for England. They had a point to prove. He'd been in the setup, then out of the setup, and he had to come back to us. And I think he averaged just short of 100 that year. Um, you know, we had rooted for a number of games. Um, so to, to go on and win the championship and win it at Lords was very, very special and eventually got my hands on the trophy. And you mentioned Joe Ruth and Johnny Best. Obviously, you've seen them come through as youngsters, as a senior player then. Um, what makes them so special, in your opinion? Very different, very different characters. I mean, you know, we talked, I spoke a bit earlier about when we got relegated in uh, 2011 and and that, that was a magic moment for us as a club, really, although we were distraught to get relegated. But what it meant was that going into the second division, we could play all these young lads all at once. They were all ready to play. 
and they could play without the pressure of first division cricket. So you had people like Gary Balance, Rooty, uh, Johnny, um, Adil had played a little bit by then, but um, Azim Rafiq, Moin Ashraf, um, these sorts of guys. So um, it gave them an opportunity to to learn about the game at a, a slightly lower level. Um, no disrespect to the second division, but first division cricket is, is hard, hard uh, cricket. Um, and it gave them a it, it gave them a confidence because the first four year they played, they got promoted to to the first division. They thought they were invincible. Um, but watching these guys go about the business up close, I mean, Johnny was immensely talented. Well, he still is. He's just a you know a, a freak at times. There's things that he can do. If he's got a point to prove, he will he will prove it. Um, you know, very stubborn in the way he goes about his business, but an immense self-belief. And, and Rooty is, um, he's a, a tremendously hard worker. You know, he's, uh, he's a coach's dream and a coach's nightmare in a way, because you know, he comes back and, and to Yorkshire now and the amount of balls he hits in the nets. It's brilliant because he, he sets a standard for all the rest of the lads. So they all look at him and go, wow, that's, he's hit balls for two, three hours there. That's why he's so good. That's why he's one of the best batsmen in the world. I'm going to do that to to make myself the best batsman in the world. But what you get then is, you know, eight, nine, ten blokes queuing up, wanting three hours in the nets, which your shoulders dropping off. Um, but he sets a standard. But he's, the thing about Joe is he hasn't changed. He's very, very level. And what you find with the best players is they, they go through bad patches, but they come out of it a lot quicker than other players because they're very level in the way they go about the business. He don't get too down if he's come off the back of two or three ducks. He don't get too up, even if he's um, got a couple of hundreds or he's in tremendous form. He's still that level grounded uh, character and that's served him really well. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of skill and talent in there as well uh, to match up with that. And, and that's why he's the best player in the world. And uh, This might be rumour, but just... Maybe you can shed some light on it. Is there a Yorkshire tradition where they pass on, say, like a thigh pad or a chest card? So I've heard that Joe Root's been passed down like a thigh pad from Jeffrey Boycott to Michael Vaughan, then to himself. Um, is there some kind of Yorkshire tradition there? Or? Not that I've heard of. I mean, you know, players do pass stuff down. Um, yeah. I don't know if... if uh... Rooty wears Vaughan's thigh pad. I can't imagine it be still held together. Um, but not not that I know of. I mean, we we have got a tremendous history and tradition, and you do get you know there's the capping system, and we're very proud of that. Um, and yeah, Rooty, maybe you could shed some light on the capping system. How how does it work? How do you get your fork? Well, I think it's changed quite a bit now. I mean, it used to be it just used to go to the board, and it used to be on opinion. So I think it changed because of me. Um, there was a disagreement about whether I should have been capped or not. I was about 24, 25. I'd scored, I think I'd scored two or 3,000 first-class runs and I was still second-team capped. And um, I think one member of the board said they didn't agree that I should get capped. Um, so after that, they brought in some structure. So now there's you've got to score X amount of runs if you're a batter and X amount of wickets if you're a bowler or an all-rounder or different formats because it was always seen that you'd only get a cap from playing championship cricket. But now, obviously, you have white ball specialists and 
you know, they're beneficial to the club and they, they win your games in white ball cricket, but they might not play any red ball cricket. So there's, you know, there's structures in place now where if you pass them milestones, uh, I don't know what they are off the top of my head, but if you pass them, you get capped. And um, it's a proud moment because if you walk into the, the players' dining room, there's a full wall of the players that have been capped. And, you know, I think we're up to cap number something like 184. So if you think that, that Yorkshire's are 128 years, 29 years, something like that, that there's only, you know, 184 players or something being capped, it makes you feel quite privileged. And you look up at them players that are on there, some of the legends of the game, the Huttons, the boycotts, you know, these sorts of guys, and you go, wow, you know, I've been capped for Yorkshire. It's quite special. And I think that um, when people come to the club and get capped and they have to earn it, People like Liam Plunkett, Jack Brooks, uh, David Willey. I think it, they're a little bit in awe of that, of the history and tradition. And um, I think it also can put some players off because it, it does come with a, a, an almost overwhelming pressure of playing for Yorkshire. You know, like I say, when you walk into the ground and there's, you know, the, what, as soon as you drive into the ground, in front of you there's a museum and there's the um, silhouettes of Yorkshire players that have captained England and you've got to be able to handle that pressure of you're playing for a big club here and you're expected to win trophies. Um, these are the players that have gone before you and that creates a pressure in itself and, and players who come from the outside, they either sink or swim with that. And then going back to yourself, 2016 uh, retirement came but then the opportunity to become first team coach. How did that conversation come about? What was the thoughts going through your head during that period? Were you ready well, to retire from playing the game? Yeah, I mean, 2016 was a, a frustrating year. I mean, we, we went close with the championship. The last day of the season, we lost to Middlesex at Lords and they won it. But my form had been poor. I'd lost a bit of hunger for the game, if I'm being honest. Um, I wasn't still improving. And <clears throat> I had a conversation halfway through the season with Martin Moxon about, you know, potential retirement. I said, look, you know, I had time left on my contract. But I wasn't enjoying the game. I lost a bit of love for it. Um, and would there be any coaching opportunities down down the line, whether that's the, the, the following year or two years, whatever. And he said, you know, look, you're still valuable to the club. Your leadership's still outstanding. Um, we all go through loads of older players where you lose a little bit of passion for it. But um, it'll come back. So I was like, yeah, fine. So I'll continue to work hard. And I made a few scores. I think I made an 80 against Lancashire at, at Old Trafford and I came off and I, st I didn't get that buzz, you know, when you, you drive away from the ground, I, you've, you've made a good contribution. You, I, I used to always get that, that real buzz that I'd done something special. And it just felt like I'd, I'd come off and it was like, yeah, I got 80, so what? You know, it didn't really, <clears throat> it didn't really feel like anything. So got to the end of the year and... Um, Jason Gillespie uh, was leaving to go back to Australia. So I met with Martin Moxon about going through the potential candidates and who'd applied for the job. And he just said, look, I've gone through the, the list of applicants and, um, you know, I think there's only one man for the job. And I said, oh, who's that? He said, you, you know, would you consider retiring and taking the, the role as head coach? I'll give you the weekend to think about it. So... Um, I said, yeah, well, I, it just felt right. I went home, spoke to my wife and my family, and it just felt right. 
And again, just like the captaincy, it probably came a couple of years earlier than I would have gone for it. And it was a tough transition. It's been a tough baptism, really, because um, I've been leading the club through a bit of a, a transitional stage after winning, having them successful years, came to a stage where then players were getting older. Um, you know, we needed to move some on and bring through the next generation. So um, we've had, you know, two or three years of transition. And we've got to the point again now where we're ready to, to win and challenge at the top end of the table again. Um, and, you know, that's probably what makes this uh, period more frustrating. How much was an influence on Jason Gillespie on your coaching career? Obviously, you're, you are your own man. You've got your own ideas. But did you take some stuff from him? that you? Yeah, massively. You know, I'm still in touch with Diz all the time. I mean, uh, we're very different people, but... You know what Diz, what Diz did for the club is he created a really good environment and he gave players a lot of freedom. So I think he made me think differently about things. We'd always done things in a traditional manner at Yorkshire, and he came in and he was like, you know, if you don't want to train today, lads, don't train. I just expect you to perform well, and if we win. You know, we go out and we have a beer together and enjoy it. But I expect you to work hard when you come into training. And it just give players responsibility. And around that time, he had, a, a, you know, a decent set of senior players as well and a, a solid captain in myself. And um, we had a, a really good relationship. Um, so I, I learned a lot of Dizzy. You know, he was very level as a character. He was a fantastic coach. And he, he made me think differently about coaching and, and leadership. And the hardest aspect of of your role? Do you reckon there's too much cricket being played, or anything else? No, I, I I like I like loads of cricket. I mean, we're lucky at Yorkshire because uh, we've got a squad that can handle all that cricket. You know, we've got a squad of including our England players. I think it's like 32 players. So, um, you know, more more cricket the merrier for me. Um, I used to like the 16 camp ch- county championship season, but. The schedule is brutal, but you've got to you've got to have the players to to manage that, and it's a real squad effort. Um, but the biggest challenges for me, um, I'd say, you know, leaving players out that's that's tough. Things that play in your mind, making them big decisions, um, that's probably the toughest aspect of the job, really. And um, and and managing expectation, you know, as I said, you've got to. You're expected to win trophies at Yorkshire, but it's it's not always possible. Um, you know, the Yorkshire public would like us to win with 11 homegrown players. Um, in this day and age, that's probably not going to happen, but we do back our academy. We're big believers in bringing our own players through. But to do that, it takes time. And that transitional stage of spoke earlier about my journey, about learn, you only learn from being there and playing you've got to go through that and it takes time and do you think the game is changing in the sense that <clears throat> players are becoming more um specialist say t20 50 over white ball players and red ball players i asked the question was obviously you've got adil rashid he's got a white ball contract um you know in the game as a whole how do you how do you think how do you see things moving forward it's tough. The, the modern day cricketer, it's tough because you know we're, we're expecting them to be able to train and perform totally different skill sets. 
you know, we, we had an appraisal with a player at the end of the year. He's a, he's a young player and we talked about his red ball cricket batting, about, you know, the ball swinging and seaming and we'd like him to play the ball later. But in white ball cricket, we, we want him to, you know, bat middle order and finish games off in T20 cricket, which means hitting the ball out in front and practicing his power. It. So the two completely different ends of the scale. And to be able to do both is hard work. You're not seeing many players around the world now dominating the two formats, the white ball and the red ball um, game. So I, I do feel for the current player. Um, it's tough and you don't get that time to practice either. Not in county cricket anyway, because you know if you, this season this year, if it had gone to plan, you've got seven, six or seven championship games and then one or two days practice before you go into T20. So, you know, we last year we, we, we had a number of players who they changed the techniques, they changed the trigger movements, they changed the grips. Um, and it's very, very difficult. This year we're meant to have two championship games nestled in and around the T20. So I do feel for the modern day cricket and hence why people are probably going a bit more specialist. Um, you know, rash. It's um, you know, one of the main reasons is cost of his body. But again, for him to, to be successful with the red ball, he's got to you know give the ball flight, guile, and and get revs on it. And he's had his success in white ball cricket by probably bowling a bit quicker into the pitch, bowling more googlies, um, bowling wicket to wicket. And again, it's totally different in red ball cricket. So the skill sets are so far apart. And then you talked about, you know, if we get any cricket this year, you know, Yorkshire are ready now to go and challenge. The signing of David Milan, a big statement from one of the other traditional clubs, Middlesex, their, their skipper, big statement? Yeah, yeah, it was, a, it was a big statement for us. And, you know, our, our red ball batting has been <clears throat> poor for a number of years, um, you know, below average. Um, of, of of our expectation and you know like I said we've gone through a transition and we wanted to find out about our own players and we've found out which ones are good enough and which ones aren't and we needed a bit of experience around as well we've got Gary Balance and Adam Live who are very experienced but we needed another head in there to take the pressure off them young players as well you know they're going to be inconsistent and they're allowed to be inconsistent um but if someone in Dowage, you're getting someone who has been consistent and, um, you know, nothing will phase him. He'll soak up the pressure in the moments where, you know, tough pitches or when you're not scoring at rate. Um, but it was a statement from us in all formats, really, to say, you know, we've gone through our transition now. We're ready to come out of this and we're signing one of the, the country's best players because we want to win trophies. Well, Andrew, um, appreciate your time today. Um, shame that, you know, we've had to do this via video and not face-to-face, but this is a given the circumstances. Fingers crossed we do get some cricket this year. And, yeah, all the best um, for the upcoming months. Stay safe. Brilliant. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Neil Cagram, Cricket Last Stories, Andrew Gale. Thank you. Thanks, Neil. Thank you.